We are entering a new age, an age demanding greater collaboration, enhanced creativity, heightened agility. Welcome to Agile and Beyond, a podcast for agile enthusiasts, design thinkers, team builders, and organization designers. With practitioners and thinkers, we explore the future of work, the evolutions in leadership mindset, and the revolutions in the human-centered innovation around experience and purpose. In the third and final episode of a conversation with Jesse Perlman, Agilist and customer success expert at CA Technologies, formerly Rally Software, we discuss what it takes to be a Scrum Master and an Agile coach, the needed soft skills, the ability to find value in conflict, the resistance of executives, iterative waterfall, conscious evolution, taking snapshots and the overcoming of habituation, being objective, the beginner's mind, learning, adapting, and sharing, and the benefits gained in helping others. So how does one... How does one become a scrum master how does one become an agile coach how does one become someone who can distribute this mindset and to ensure that this this way of thinking and and these feedback this alignment within the organization is happening are are agile coaches and scrum masters born or are they created oh You've opened a huge can of worms with me. Um, <laughs> then it was the perfect question. It was. <laughs> Look, if you have an innate talent for it, you will excel. If you don't have an innate talent for it, you can be trained. You will not be as proficient as the team might need. Anybody can do the work, but do you have the affinity for it is the question. Because to be a scrum master and a coach requires... A lot of soft skills, the ability to de-escalate conflict and drive collaboration out of conflict, actually find where the dynamic value in that conflict lives so that you can get it. The, the, the healthy. The, the healthy there's value. No conflict is not healthy. No, Some conflict is healthy. You need yeah. dynamic opposition to move yeah. anything forward. A rubber band doesn't work until it's wrapped around something. So what we're talking about. We were talking about our, our Agile coaches and right. Scrum Masters created or born. Right. So I think they're born. You, you have a talent for working with people. You have to have a sense of psychology. You have to have a sense of conflict resolution. You can go through all this training, but you have to want to do it. And look, if you don't want to do the job, don't sign up for it. And you get people who do that. Well, Scrum Master sounds like a great job because I won't have to do any real work. No, there's a lot of real work. It's just none of it is really something that you can point to and say, I did that today. <laughs> it's not, it's, it's, it's more intangible. It's intangible, very intangible. It's elevating the, the mood of your team on a bad day so that you know, everything's better suddenly. Or it's getting in between the product owner and your lead developer to make sure that 
yeah, they're saying the same thing. They're just using different language so I can de-escalate this moment and, and, and get them to understand that they're both saying the same thing and stop this conflict so that team can move forward. It's understanding that, hey, listen, I know that you have commitments outside of this team, but if you make commitments to this team, I'm holding you to that commitment. And if you say you're going to be here, you're going to be here. That's what a scrum master has to do. An agile coach has to do that times 10 because they have to be able to help that scrum master maybe in that conversation down on the team, but they also have to do the same thing with the executives. And they have to get the executive to understand the mindset of the scrum master. And how does that work? Not easily sometimes because the scrum master is, is, is exhibiting or, re or reporting pain or problems from the execution layer. Most executives don't care about that. That's the mountain we're going to. Show me how close we are to the mountain now. Don't tell me why I'm not any closer to the mountain. Well, you can, but don't tell me that it was Steve on task 12. They don't care about that. So you have to make the team experience relevant to the executive in some fashion so that they make the right decisions. So that's where the Agile coach really comes in, is that they're trying to extend what's happening down into the teams throughout the product all the way into ex uh, the executive layer so that you have everything that you need. Look, three things. Visibility, predictability, and responsiveness. If you have a clear line of visibility from the highest level to the lowest level, then you have your responsiveness. Because then I can see the moment something goes wrong and your teams give you the predictability. And the moment I'm not predictable, I can no longer sense nor respond in any real fashion to any change in the market because I can no longer count on the machine that allows me to respond doing so. So you're creating a people machine. Yeah, it's always people. So what, what, I'm not sure in that exposition that you just went through what, what the difficulty was or where the where the blockage is occurring for some execs not to understand the mindset of the scrum master and why that is so important. The blocks to some executives understanding it are an old school executive mentality of you're going to do what I tell you to do. I don't care. They don't care. It's command and control. Command and control, feudalism, whatever you want to call it. They don't give a crap. They're never going to give a crap. And if you have that person, it's the wrong person. Or that's the culture you want. Stop using an agile coach. Is it the structure, or is the, or is it the structure? Is it the hierarchical st structure which is supporting the feudalism, or is it the feudalistic mentality which is supporting this the, the it's structure? The mentality. It's the mentality that supports the structure. Again, I'm getting what I'm getting. I will not risk change and risk losing what I am getting. That is a, that is a feudalistic, feudalistic mentality. I will protect my fiefdom. I will tax it however I will to get whatever I need so that I have the armies that I need to go take more territory to do whatever I want to do. Where 
you need the executive to understand the pitfalls the teams are going through. They have to have an empathy for what the teams are experiencing so that they can use their weight to change the environment for the better so that the team can perform even more, thus making them more predictable, extending their success to other teams, making them more predictable, and thus making you far more predictable to the market, delivering more value in shorter periods of time. That's why an executive needs to understand the pain of a team. And that's why they need to understand what a scrum master is going through so that they can remove the pain and make it a more efficient environment to optimize for the end result. So the exec should be the super, the super scrum master. The, he or she should be removing impediments for the scrum masters who are trying to remove impediments and to uh, support the teams. In the, in the end, if the lever you need is it big enough for an executive to pull it, then that's what you need. Wherever the fulcrum, whatever, wherever you, you can get the force to make the movement, you get the force to make the movement. So if a scrum master can't get it unblocked through their own actions and they bring it to the scrum of scrums and the scrum of scrums can't get it unblocked, then that, let's say they're using a safe alignment and the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the release train engineer can't get it unblocked, that release train engineer is going to go to a higher level in the organization. If that executive can't get it on, it's going to keep going up if it's important enough for the delivery of this item to the market. Sooner or later, if it's big enough, bad enough, and mean enough, you need the executive to move it. The executive needs to move it. And if you have an executive who will not move it, move the executive. Is that one of the... Is that one of the reasons why agile transformations uh, fail in yeah. larger organizations? Yeah, there, there, there are executives who just don't want to give up what they have. They don't want it to change. They don't want it to move. They're resistant. I, I got an email from a, from a friend of mine. I, th- I believe he's a scrum master in mm-hmm. a, a large organization in town. And the, the title of the email was Agile Charlatans, mm-hmm. where he's just saying that the command and control, the rigid, as he referred to it, the rigid hierarchical control is so embedded mm-hmm. that there's, yeah, that they're just agile in name. It, 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 See it with a lot of organizations. They're, they're agile in name, and what they do is iterative waterfall. They, 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 they take the term agile simply to appeal to their customer base who's been asking, are you guys agile? You do agile development? No. Oh, cool, great. <laughs> so yeah, you we attract the millennials. Right. We, to we check the box. Check yeah. the box. Okay. So I'm going to expand Please. a little wider here, and and to wind this this amazing conversation down. You had referred at one point that your vision was that agile is infinitely scalable. Yeah. And you see this as how far. I mean, infinitely scalable is like, what are we going to take over the universe? Where are you going with this? In other words, if I can apply it to an individual, I can apply it to an organization of a thousand people, or I can apply it to the whole damn planet. That's what I mean by infinitely scalable. The The reality of agile for me is that it's simply the act of conscious evolution. It's looking at what you're doing every day consciously and making a choice about what is the 
best method I can choose to do this the most efficiently and with the maximum amount of results. That's it. That's it. As an individual, I can do that. And as an organization, I can do that. Review my results, maximize my process to optimize for efficiency for whatever I'm trying to do. So, if I wake up in the morning and I need to floss my teeth and brush my teeth, the proper order should be floss then brush. Or is the proper order floss then So I go through a series of evolutions till I find the best way of doing it. We do this in our life with everything. We habituate. That's the problem. Humans will habituate successful behaviors to the point when they are no longer successful, we are still habituated. And we have it's, to... We're, we're so oblivious to the fact that, it's e that, that it's it is automatic. even a habit. Right. It's automatic. It's ingrained. Yeah. It's instinctive at this point. It's so habituated, it's just an automatic process. It goes back to your breathing. And we do things that are as automatic as breathing to us that we developed through, through iterating until we felt it was sufficient. Then our life changes and this process no longer works for us. And we start to cuss and moan and complain. And, but we, we just need to change our habit. We just need to look at it and say, oh, I'm, I no longer have white clothes. I have to wash them differently. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's about, uh, I, I was having a discussion, one of my earlier interviews this week, I was talking with Don, Donna Jones she, uh, from Vancouver. She's the mm -hmm. author of uh, Decision Making for Dummies. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, you, you know of her. I know of it, yeah. Yeah. And she was talking about that we're moving into... She says, not everyone's aware of it, but we're moving into a, a, a new era of, that's going to require higher levels of consciousness, which yes. kind of yeah. fits into what you're, you're, you're talking about here. We Becoming aware yeah. of, of... We need to be aware of our environments. We need to be aware of the decisions that we make. We need to be conscious of the choices that we are making to ensure that they are the best choices that we can make in this moment. Unconsciously, the decision-making process is this. When I have an idea, or if I'm offered an option, I go through what's an emotional response. Jesse, would you like ice cream? Ice cream. Ah, hi, ice cream makes me happy. All right. Then I go through an experience assessment. Every time I've had ice cream, I've enjoyed it. Okay. Ice cream makes me happy. Every time I've tried it, I enjoyed it. Now I have an expectation. I'm going to go have ice cream, and I should enjoy it. So all that happens in a split second. The, the goal is to get conscious. Now, let's say it's you who, who wants an ice cream and a guy at work comes up to you and it's somebody that you've never gotten along with very well, Steve. He's just one of those awkward guys. And he comes up to you, Dan, and he says, hey, Dan, would you like to get some ice cream? Now, you love ice cream, but your response system goes like this. I love ice cream. I don't like Steve. If I go have ice cream with Steve, it may not be a good experience. No, thank you, Steve. You've built an expectation of an outcome based on your experience and your emotional response with this individual. Now, Agile says you should think about it this way. Steve never asked you out for ice cream before. Maybe Steve is actually approaching you because he knows you like ice cream, and that's an opener for him to be able to have a conversation with you that he wasn't comfortable in just saying, hey, Dan, can I talk to you? So you stop and you say, I love ice cream. I don't like Steve. Why didn't Steve ask me for ice cream? Hey, Steve, do you need to talk about something? I don't really don't want any ice cream right now. Are you okay? You've just altered your outcome because you made a conscious choice. 
Now you're helping somebody. He didn't have the maturity to approach you with a full set of transparency or a full set of transparent behaviors like an angelist would. But as an angelist, you were conscious to this moment and evaluated it and said, what's different here? Steve's never approached me and asked me anything before. Let me make a new decision. Let me go against my habituated response system. Emotion, experience, expectation. If we can get rid of the expectation and put in that delay, we alter our outcomes because now we are consciously at choice for any outcome we want in this moment. And we're able to learn new things because we're running an experiment. Because we're open to it. Where our mind stays open, we're constantly learning. We're constantly staying adaptable. We're not getting locked in. And we open our worldview. We start to understand other people better. So you have this conversation with Steve. You start to understand that Steve makes you a little awkward because he's got a bad situation at home. He's actually in an abusive relationship. Wow. How can you help Steve? Well, you've just helped Steve so he can get this off his chest. Maybe that's all he needed to take the next step in his life. But you've improved his mental environment as an agilist. You've made his life a little bit better. His day just got easier. And your day just improved because you just helped somebody and you know it. This is how I view it every day. So how does one develop these? I mean, this was a hypothetical that you yeah. threw out. and Sure. And, and you could have been wrong in your assumption, but could it was have. a test. Right. And, right. But, and, and you went with it. And it could, you could have been spot on. Right. Um, how does one raise their consciousness level? How does one increase their psychological awareness? I call, them, I call them snapshots. I actually learned this uh, technique from, from somebody earlier in my life, a guide on my, my growth in this. Look at your life. For me, it was uh, traffic. Uh, I used to think everybody was a crappy driver. Uh, I'm an assertive driver. I don't say it's aggressive. I'm assertive. <laughs> and I used to think everybody was bad. Uh, and, and so traffic used to frustrate the hell out of me. I would get angry and upset because I, you know, and I was looking at inefficiencies and you don't know how to drive and da, da, da. And I started taking a snapshot of these moments that were aggravating me. That's what I wanted to focus on. I wasn't happy. Why wasn't I happy? Traffic was one of the first ones. So I started taking this snapshot and I started to understand that I had a belief that other people, that all the other drivers were bad drivers. That's how I started to do it. These snapshots of what was important for me to change in my life. By just taking a picture and, and not, not you, can't get a, you can't get emotional about what you're observing in yourself. So I'm driving and I'm starting to get upset. And I'm watching and I started saying, you people don't know what you're doing. And I started to recognize, oh, I have a belief system that everybody else is a bad driver. Well, that's not true, is it? Because if everybody else was a bad driver, there would be accidents all over the place, and I would be the only guy with a clean car. Okay, so I have a false premise. I need to change my belief. So I started to change my belief to say that everybody is just driving at their own pace. Oh, they're driving at their own pace. What's my rush? Should I really be rushing? Do I really need to get where I'm going in such a hurry? What's going on with me? It takes it off the other and puts it back on me. Everything I do from a snapshot 
is about my response to this moment in time. Why was I responding this way? Why was I thinking this way? Why do I have this belief that all the other drivers are bad? Oh, I'm an aggressive driver. I like to drive fast. Well, if I like to drive fast, don't drive on this road at this time if that's what's going on. Or don't drive so fast, Jesse. Where are you rushing to? But these snapshots, looking at what's going on in your life, areas that you wish to improve, just take a snapshot, look at it, and try to start to understand why you believe the way you do about that. That's it. Interesting. It, 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 is it, is it have something to do with being more objective? It, yes. Looking at your response to pain. Oh, that was painful. That was pleasurable. And trying to look at it in a disconnected way and yeah. just observe it as, oh, I'm feeling something there, but I'm not going to react to I'm going to put in that delay. Is this exactly a little bit right. of that delay concept that it, you were talking about? It starts about? to teach you the delay because it teaches you objectiveness about yourself. Because the snapshot in time, it goes into like a photo album in your mind. And you come back and you review it and you say, wow, I got a lot of pictures of traffic. Why did I take a lot of pictures of traffic? What's going on with traffic? Oh, well, everybody's a crappy driver. Oh, well, that's not true. So we see it starts small, these little snapshots. They teach you how to be objective. Because all you're doing is just this moment in time, this moment in time, this moment in time. And you're just putting it away. If you were reacting in the moment, then the emotion would come in. So by distancing from the time it occurred, you distance the emotional response to it. It gives you slightly more of an objective viewpoint so that you can laugh at yourself. Because that's what you start to do once you start to make these recognitions. You start to laugh at yourself a little bit. That's a really interesting belief system that I have. Let me change my belief system. Changing your belief systems are a little bit difficult. But you can do it. It's just changing a habit. That's all it is. But it is about being objective. If you get emotional in response to what you observe in yourself, you're not ready to really be looking at it. There's too much there. Interesting. Well, we've been talking for quite a long time. I think I'm going to have to divide this up into <laughs> – this will probably be part two or three of this particular podcast well, episode. i got to tell but, you, Dan, I've really appreciated the opportunity to come here and talk. I, I, I really appreciate it. And you ask very intriguing questions. And I like the way you think about this because you have an explorer's mind. And that's what we all need. We shut down to life. And that's when we stop being agile. You have to open yourself back up and be an explorer. You have to have the beginner's mind. Say, I don't know, and be okay with it. Because it's true. We don't know until we ask or until we see or we learn. Interesting. Well, thank you very much. I, I've, I've really enjoyed this. And, I've, and, and, and actually, when I, when I approached you and I asked you, you know, I said, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm doing a podcast, I'm yeah. launching a podcast, and I'd like to have you on as a guest. I sensed that early on in our discussion that you responded to me and how can I help you a yeah. little bit? There was a little bit of that. Uh, absolutely. Of that, yeah, that uh, was my first response. Oh, you're doing a podcast. Great. How can I help you? Maybe you can record this. What can I do to, to advance you? Right, right. Yeah. Because it's, it aligned in, in – it not only, but it, it also aligned with, with things that you're doing as well. Uh, uh, I mean if I had asked you, oh, I, I'm, I'm shoveling driveways – uh, that may not have been very relevant. It may not have been relevant. I would still uh, said, how can I help you in what you're trying to do? Because my, look, I'm a helper. All my life I've been a helper. If I can understand it, 
I want to help somebody else understand it because that reduces the strain on them. We have two mentalities in this world. We have the, well, it's always been done that way and I had to fight for it and you've got to fight for it. That's the status quo. Keep it as it is. Then there's the other mentality that I want to see in this world. The, hey, I struggled and I want to reduce the struggle that you have to go through because I learned something that can help you. Do you want to listen? You do. Here, let me help you. What's wrong with that, man? There's nothing wrong do we, with that. Do we, do, we, <laughs> do we make it harder on our kids? Then if we, don't do it, if we don't do it to our children, why do it to somebody else? Why make it harder if we can make it easier? Because the goal in life, look, check it out. It's a scarcity, man, or it's what you call the lack mentality, but it's, it's a, lack a, scarce, mentality. a, it's a scarcity. scarcity mentality. It is. Yeah. But look at nature. Nature competes without, look, forget the, the predators, right? Predation and all that. I'm talking about grass and trees. and It all competes with itself, but yet it all survives and it all works together. We can do the same thing. We all live on this planet. Guess what? It's a locked environment. <laughs> We're all one team, damn it, whether we know it or not. Well, the, the, the Elon Musk team, they're, they're thinking about moving off to Mars, but you know, that's, well, this a, is that's the, another... That's a whole other conversation. That's a whole other conversation. Because yeah. now we're talking about opening up the resource stream back into the gravity well, which we need. Look, for me, agility is about learning, adapting, and sharing, and helping other people advance. And if we make it easier on everybody, then we're all moving into uh, thrival and not survival. Because that's what evolution wants. Look, the sloth is a cool animal. It spends the least amount of time eating the worst possible thing it could and survives quite well. Evolution led it there. It has multiple stomachs. It has its own ecosphere on its fur. Evolution is amazing. All to maximize the scarcity of energy in grass and leaves and bark and tree. It's a mammal. And it doesn't even govern its body heat the same way. So this is what adaption can do. We can do it if we work together. And what we forget about humanity is that what brought us out of the slime wasn't that we're tool users, is that what we talked to each other and said, if you use this tool this way, you can do a better job. Well, I, th I think you're touching on something here. Another way to gain this agile mindset or whatever we mm -hmm. want to call it, this evolutionary or adaptive yeah. mindset, is to study. It seems like a lot of it. it's easier. What I'm finding, it's easier for global conceptual thinkers. It's easier for biologists. It's easier mm -hmm. for ecologists. It's mm -hmm. easier for environmental scientists to understand mm -hmm. this. They, they take to it. Yes. If you like a fish in water. Look at evolutionary systems. That's all it is. All we're trying to do is consciously model evolution. That's it. That's not a small thing. I just realized that. Well, why don't we why don't we finish we off here? This, Let's yeah. end this. We can we can of course do another one later. But I would uh, love to. It's uh, it was a real pleasure. Jesse. A real pleasure, Dan. I, I, in any way I can help you, sir, let me know. I, well. Um, I'm, yeah. <laughs> Till next time. You bet. Bye. Thank you very much. This completes the third and final episode of a conversation with Jesse Perlman. I look forward to have him back on as a guest.
been listening to Agile and Beyond. Visit agileandbeyond.co and subscribe on iTunes. Until next time, keep evolving.